we already know that certain people are priced out. Like if you live in a third world country and, and you work a, you know, a regular hardworking job, 30,000 American dollars is probably a lot of money. I have no affiliation with Jared Kushner. Nobody does. <laughs> Nobody does. Your boy is a general statement that you make at the other person. And then your brain just replays all the ridiculous things you spent money on in between then and now, instead of buying this thing that went up 10x, 100x, 1000x, whatever, whatever it's going to do. You're listening to the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast. I'm Mandana. I'm Ian. That's Keon. And, and we're, we're the, the Recepties. My husband loves Bitcoin, and once a week, I let him talk my ear off about it. Yeah, I'm a real cheap date. Cheap, maybe, but it's a lot of work. If I'm going to do something, may as well do it the best way possible. And Flirting with Bitcoin is audience-funded without ads or sponsors. Mm-hmm. This ain't your grandma's podcast. This is podcasting 2.0. But we can't do this for free, babe. We have Bitcoin to buy and a new mouth to feed. <laughs> See? Our son agrees with me. If and when people enjoy the show, they can support us by giving us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever they're listening. They can share episodes on their social media, and of course, they can send us some money. Obviously, I prefer Bitcoin, and the best way to send us some is through our two favorite apps, Strike and Fountain. Ah, let's explain how that works at the end of the episode for anyone curious. Sure, babe. But I still like real money, and so if you want to support us... Babe, babe. Bitcoin is real money. Sure, but if you want to support us with old school money, go to flirtingwithbitcoin.com and subscribe. We offer monthly and yearly subscriptions that come out to less than a dollar an episode. To all our fountainheads out there, keep making and sharing clips of the show to cash in on our bounty program. Make that money, honey. Y'all ready? Hey, Keon, you ready, baby? Let's go. Hey, Ian. Hey, Mandana. Hola, Spain. Guten Tag, Germany. Saudi, Thailand. Hola, Brazil. Namaskar, Nepal. Good day, Canada. Good day, UK. Hola, Argentina. Buongiorno, Italy. And howdy, howdy to, to Texas. Texas. And hello to the Netherlands. And hello to all of our other listeners out there all around the world. What time is it, babe? The current time is 810-612, and we are approximately 286 blocks since our last recording. And how many blocks until the next halving? 29,388 blocks until the next halving. And if I give you one US dollar, how many acres could I get on Bitcoin Island? Today, you could get 3,633 acres, aka Satoshis, on sunny Bitcoin Island. And what about other tangible goods like eggs, beef, gas? Yeah, so price in Bitcoin21.com is still up. And you can get a dozen eggs for 4,031 Satoshis. You can get a pound of ground beef for 13,060. You can get a pound of ground beef for 13,036 Satoshis. And you can get a gallon of gas for 9,616 Satoshis. And this week, I've added something a little extra to this, which is I'm calling it the Satoshi Price Index. Okay. And we are up approximately 1.86% since our last recording. What does that mean? I just added up the eggs, beef, and gas, and then compared it to last week. And what's the number again? You said we're up how much? 1.86%. So it cost you 1.86% more Satoshis this week than last week. And that means... Do the analysis for me. That means the price of Bitcoin has gone down. Down. Okay. Since the day of recording. All right, which right? was a couple of days ago. The price has moved pretty wildly over the last like three or four days. All right. Is that good? Uh, you know, people are reacting to things. It's, I mean, wildly meaning like it, the price of Bitcoin has moved about two to four percent. So you could expect the SPI to move two to four percent. All right. And I, I just made up this term, by the way, SPI. Oh. <laughs> You heard it here first, guys. SBI. So we have this thing that Ian created called the Satoshi Savings Calculator. If you haven't heard of it, uh, listen in because Ian created this really great tool that we sometimes promote, sometimes we don't. That's supposed to help you just figure out what your savings goals are for Bitcoin. And then there's British HODL and Ian now are trying to really like drive this whole point of you need to have at least one Bitcoin before the next halving because you probably won't be able to, depending on where you are on the socioeconomic scale, right? Exactly. Um, this might be your last chance to be able to accumulate one Bitcoin. And 
Ian had this aha moment the other night of like, this is how we should be using the calculator. This is how we should be talking about it. So I'm gonna hand it over to you for you to explain this. And I think going forward, we're going to incorporate this as our opening of every episode to bring it like top of mind of like, are you doing what you need to do to make sure you have one Bitcoin? Yeah, I made this app about a year ago or was it two years ago now? I made this during season one. Who even knows? Yeah. So anyway. What day is today? I just know what block we're on. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you have a Bitcoin husband. Just make a really stupid Bitcoin joke, and you're gonna get, just make him smile so big. I think you're blushing a little. Are you proud of that joke? I mean, <laughs> it's topical. So yes. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I made this app a couple summers ago, and the idea in my head at the time was it's really hard to think in terms of saving in Bitcoin because as the price changes, it's very hard to calculate how you get to your goal of, let's say you wanted one Bitcoin, as Mondana was saying a second ago. So I made this calculator that lets you just put in like, I want to get it to one Bitcoin, or you could put any amount, but let's just say your goal was one Bitcoin. And then you want to you can pick the interval at which you want to save, whether it's every day, every week, every month, technically every year. Um, and the calculator will just spit out to you, OK, well, if you picked weeks, there's X number of weeks left and you need to acquire X number of Satoshis per week. If you were to acquire that amount of Satoshis today, like as you're looking at the calculator, it then tells you the price that it will cost you in your currency. I, I think we have like all the currencies because I pulled mm -hmm. in some some API. I forget. You I haven't did, really looked yeah. at the code for a while. But so, for example, today, uh, if you had picked, I want to acquire one Bitcoin by the 2024 halving. And, and I have none now. And you have zero at the moment. Let's say you just heard our podcast for the first time and you have zero Bitcoin. There's only 29 weeks until the halving. And that means you need to acquire approximately 3.4 million Satoshis a week. And today, 3.4 million Satoshis will cost you $950, right? So like, if that number is daunting, I don't think that it's um, a hard, fast requirement that you get to one Bitcoin. But if you have a lower goal, this calculator will tell you what you need to acquire in that moment. You can also plug in like how much Bitcoin you currently have, and it'll recalculate and help you figure out what you need to get in the moment. But, um, you know, as Mondana said, you know, this guy, British HODL, he's kind of made this point of you got to get to one Bitcoin, you got to get to one Bitcoin because you might not have another chance. And when I put this app together, I was not thinking of the idea of you might never have another chance to get <laughs> to one Bitcoin. But based on a lot of the math that I've seen and a lot of like what's going on, like when I built this app, um, the ETF was like an idea, but no one had really applied officially, like BlackRock had not applied to create a Bitcoin ETF. They have done that now. Um, there's about seven or eight other companies that have applied to create Bitcoin ETFs. And when those ETFs are approved and come into the market, it is going to price people out. Um, we already know that certain people are priced out. Like if you live in a third world country and, and you work a, you know, a regular hardworking job, 30,000 American dollars is probably a lot of money for you right now. If you live in the West, if you live in America, $30,000 is probably a lot of money to you, <laughs> right? Um, but there are people in the world that can, you know, drop $30,000 on, 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 on a car or a watch. But there will be a point in time when, you know, single digit millionaires will be priced out of Bitcoin also. Mm -hmm. So the idea here is that every week from now on, we are just going to say, if you have no Bitcoin, this is how much time you have left <laughs> and what it costs today. And that's just going to be an update that we do to kind of just like the, the price of eggs and ground beef and gas to really put into context what's going on with this asset. Because I think as we do this podcast over time, these numbers are going to change. And you will remember when we were saying much lower numbers, right? Like when I started this app and I started this calculator, the numbers that it was putting out for every week were like $200. Mm -hmm. So it's not only that the price has changed, but also time has gone by. Mm -hmm. So I just had this like aha moment. I was watching British Hoddle's video and how he was like really 
stressing this point of this might be your last chance. And I just think that the, the calculator, while it wasn't designed towards his point, can be used to help facilitate accomplishing a goal. It doesn't have to be one Bitcoin, but if your goal is one Bitcoin, time is running out. It costs 950 a week at today's price. And I don't know how many people just have an extra $950 a week lying around. That's $4,000 a month. That's a lot of money. So uh, just to put it in context, what we're actually dealing with. So it's hard to really talk about anything else when this sense of urgency is kind of looming above us. Not necessarily for you and me, but for the people in our lives that we've been trying to explain Bitcoin to. I mean, I don't have a sense of urgency in explaining it to them, but I feel like they should have a sense of urgency. Yeah, yeah. it's like, where is our responsibility? I mean, I feel like we've met our responsibility. We have a podcast, but I still think that if we haven't gotten to somebody, we shouldn't be giving up. I think this podcast has taken a certain route where I know enough that we're not having conversations that somebody who doesn't know much about Bitcoin can just hop in and listen to. Maybe. I I try to make sure that when I'm talking about Bitcoin on this pod, I'm trying to give examples of why it's important and why you should pay attention and why I literally cannot give you all the information. Like this is a thing that you have to go and study on your own, in your own free time. Yeah, but if we could... What I would like to do is think about different perspectives of people today. When we started this podcast, we were kind of in a different reality. Yes, the world was very different. (laughs) Yeah. And then today, I think more people are thinking about money. More people are upset about inflation and they're upset about the current state of their own finances and feeling less confident about their ability to be secure in the future. And I think that that is likely the case for most people, Mm -hmm. whether or not they are quote unquote well off. Sure. Yeah. So I think bringing it to like whatever you want to talk about for the next few weeks, I think we should think about a certain type of person um, or persona and try to explain Bitcoin one last time to them. (laughs) And then we're done with the pod. I mean, I would say one last time this time around because... Another Hamilton song. (laughs) (laughs) It's always relevant. Um, It's very relevant. That movie, that that play is really about the monetary policy of the United States. And change and revolution and all of those things. So it really applies. And like sticking to your principles and yada, yada, yada. I think... What I would like to do is pick one person that we might have in mind and do the, this is what Bitcoin is. This is how I think life is hitting you right now. This is how Bitcoin changes everything for you. Okay. Are you down for that? I mean, in principle, yes, it depends on the persona that you pick because I just might not care about that persona. Well, let's pick one persona and then... We can pick other ones for like the next few episodes and then our listeners can also pitch someone so that our episode is like speaking to that person and they could just play that episode for that person. And it's like, please, with an open mind, listen to this conversation, because I think that you are going to really regret not letting this click for you sooner. Yeah, I mean, the name of the podcast is Flirting with Bitcoin. This is the equivalent of like hitting on people. Hitting on people. I like that. Okay, who are we hitting on? I don't know. You picked the persona. I got the information. All right. I know a lot of immigrants. So let's hit the type of person who is an immigrant who's come from another country because there weren't opportunities there. There were more opportunities here. And they don't have a strong retirement plan. And they are in their 60s and 70s and still working. Okay. That's the persona. That's the persona. All right. All right. So. What is Bitcoin? I mean, to that person, and Bitcoin is your retirement plan, number one. Explain that. 
So for example, I no longer contribute to my retirement plan that my company provides. I stopped contributing uh, a while ago. And the reason why I stopped contributing is I've said it on the pod a lot. You're basically putting more rules on your money, right? So yes, they will present you with a retirement plan that says, oh, we expect it or we anticipate that it'll go up by a certain percentage every year, five years, 10 years. But when you contribute money to that plan, you can't like dip into it. You can't use it for other things. You have to sit and wait until whatever it is, 60, 65, 66. Mm -hmm. And then you can get you can get back at your own money. Right. And the trade you're making there is like, I'll let you hold my money as long as you promise not to tax me on it in the future. That's really the trade of these retirement accounts. But as you just said, you know, to kind of start the show, which is like people are paying attention to money. People are paying attention to like the price of things going up. And if you're a person who's been working for 10 years, but you're like 35, your retirement is a very long way away. You might need your retirement account now. Well, what? I, but we're not talking about 35 I know, I know, year olds. I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm building up to, to that. The flip side of that is if you're in your 60s or you're, you know, you're in your 60s or 70s, you've kind of hit that window where you'd be getting at this money, but you don't have anything there or it's a very minimal amount, you have to catch up. And if you want to believe all of those retirement plans and all of the numbers that they present, you cannot catch up in the normal financial world, right? Even the best performing index funds are only doing what? 6%, 7%, and, you know, as we've talked about on the show, if you're gaining or earning six or seven percent on your money a year, you're just treading water. You're not actually catching up. You're just you're pacing with inflation. Uh, what Bitcoin does is Bitcoin helps you fight against that inflation by, I'll say, using inflation against itself because Bitcoin cannot be inflated. So as these countries inflate the money supply, which is what causes you to need to earn 7% a year on a retirement account, Bitcoin says, well, as they inflate the money supply, I'm going to grow at a much larger rate than that 7 or 8%. And that's what we've seen over the last 13 years. Bitcoin, on average, does about, I'll be conservative and say 50% gains on average per year. Okay, but what about... I see the price is really high and then it comes low and then it goes high. And if I want to buy some today, shouldn't I just wait a week? Because maybe it's going to go down today. You just said it went down two to four percent. Yeah, but those statements are statements of a trader. Trader with a D, not a <laughs> traitor, right? So explain the difference between like trading stocks and Bitcoin. You never sell your Bitcoin. Why would I never sell my Bitcoin? What's the point of me having it then? Why do you own a home? Because I live there. Okay. I'm getting something out of it every day. Okay, but but you could live in an apartment. Why did you choose to buy a house? Why did you choose to take out a mortgage? Why do you pay interest? Why why do you have a home for real? To own it? Sure, but you know, I'm assuming that this person's answer would be I'm paying it down and I'm building up equity, right? Like that's why you purchase property. It's the it's the equity aspect. Yes, you get the tax write-off. But Trump recently changed the rules where like most people aren't really benefiting from the tax aspect of of owning a home anymore um, because he increased the, the the standard deduction. But most people would say, especially people who are in their 60s and 70s and maybe have owned property most of their life, that my home has been the best asset that I've owned. Like if people bought a house in the 70s and just stayed in it, they're probably OK anywhere in America. Your house is worth more than what you paid for it in the 70s, right? Okay. okay. And if you only stayed in the house or maybe you moved to another one, technically, you would, if you had any equity, you would have rolled your equity into a new house or you just continue building it in your old house. But like, it's that equity, which is why you own a home. You don't get to build equity when you're renting, right? So I would say that homeowners understand the concept of equity. And they understand that equity is something that you can get at at any time. It's not like a retirement account, right? There's no rule. But you just said I never sell my Bitcoin. Okay. Is there, is there, uh, is there more to that? Get, 
you're saying you can get the equity of your house. With a house, I can take out a line of credit, right? Low interest yep. line of credit. You can. All right. You can borrow against your Bitcoin, right? Like Bitcoin and home ownership are the same thing. The only difference is that home ownership is something that is understood by the majority of the population, whether they own a home or not. And because the concept of Bitcoin, what it is, what cryptocurrency means, what, you know, all of that, do you think that's why somebody just cannot connect those dots? I think that people overcomplicate what Bitcoin is, mm. right? That's why I'm saying Bitcoin ownership and home ownership are the same thing. The only difference is that you can't buy a fraction of a house. Yes, people have created businesses where they convince you that you could own a fraction of a house, right? Like uh, your boy, jokingly, your boy, uh, Jared Kushner, he started. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know why he's my boy. Ian does this all the time. He'll just like, I'll have literally watched television and someone has come up on the screen. And then for the rest of life, Ian's like your boy. <laughs> I have no affiliation with Jared Kushner. Nobody does. <laughs> Nobody does. Your boy is a general statement that you make at the other person. I'm not going to say my boy, Jared Kushner. You could just say Jared Kushner. No, it's how people talk. It's okay, how I talk, okay. right? So Jared Kushner had a biz- has a business, had a business. I don't know if they're still in business, but basically like they created a company where you can buy pieces of real estate. You don't own the whole thing, but you go in with other people. This is a concept on the stock market. It's called a REIT, an R-E-I-T, Real Estate Investment Trust. Um, so this concept exists where it's like, okay, if I can't afford to buy a a multi-story building in New York city, I can buy shares in a REIT that Mm -hmm. owns multiple, right? Okay. Well, the people that put that business together and the people that are managing that business, that's managing what properties they buy and they sell, like you're, you're basically in, you're giving your trust and your money and your resources to someone else to make these decisions for you. Right. But at the end of the day, you're just saying, I want to play this real estate game and I can't play the full game by myself. So I need to go in with some other people and hopefully we can be successful. So how do I play the Bitcoin game? It's the same thing, except you don't need to play it with anyone else. You can buy as much or as little Bitcoin as you want. And as the price of Bitcoin appreciates, right, you can call that your equity. If you bought Bitcoin back in December when it was $15,000, which I think a lot of people have forgotten, not that long ago, Bitcoin was $15,000, and then Bitcoin goes to $30,000, you can say, I have $15,000 of equity in my Bitcoin, just like you could say, I have $15,000 of equity in my house. Okay, so to that, what about when it goes back down to fifteen? then you have no equity, but you still have your Bitcoin. Just like when the price of homes go down, you have no equity, but you still have your house. Can you explain why you think long-term the price of Bitcoin is going to go up? I mean, the short answer is math, right? Like mm-hmm. that's the extreme short answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but tying it back into this whole premise that the Brit, uh, this guy British HODL is really pushing is that people who understand property and real estate, they might be late to the game, but what they do understand is scarcity. Like that's why they're in the property game. And I'll use a big example. Forget British HODL, BlackRock. You know, people talk about BlackRock always in a negative connotation, right? Um, They're this wealthy group of people that like own all this stuff and they control the world. And maybe that's true. But you know what BlackRock doesn't own a closet full of Air Jordans, right? Like BlackRock doesn't invest in things that are intrinsically worthless. Mm -hmm. They only put their money into things and they only convince their clients to put money into things that they see are valuable and have a long-term trajectory of value growth because BlackRock doesn't make money from owning those things. BlackRock makes money from convincing their wealthy clients to buy those things and they make a fee off of how much you buy. Mm-hmm. So BlackRock is putting together an ETF. BlackRock. What's an ETF? Equity traded fund or exchange, sorry, exchange traded fund. And all it does is say that I'm going to hold the Bitcoin for you, right? 
you give me money, I go buy Bitcoin. You have a right to the Bitcoin that I own, that I purchase for you, right? All this means is that once the BlackRock ETF and these other ETFs that are on the table get approved, it is going to be orders of magnitude easier for people to buy Bitcoin. And when you say people, you mean incredibly wealthy people to be told by the group that's already managing their money, hey, this is where you want to put your money. I mean, and it's a very easy decision. It's like a yes, right? They're just like, sounds good. Yeah, do it. Buy me, buy me three million uh, worth of Bitcoin. You're thinking too small. When I say people, I mean everyone on the planet because everyone on the planet has access to some, well, not everyone, but the majority of people on the planet have access to some exchange Mm -hmm. where they can buy and sell shares of things. Hong Kong, Singapore, China, Europe, Europe has like, there's all these exchanges where things are bought and sold, right? Yes, there's retail. There's you, there's me, there's my friends, there's your friends, there's, you know, our friends and family. There's also sovereign wealth funds, Mm -hmm. right? Countries, the country of Saudi Arabia, the country of of, uh, United Arab Emirates, the country of Sweden, the country of Switzerland, right? Like countries have set up sovereign wealth funds that have billions of dollars in them. And it's a lot easier for them to buy a billion dollars of an ETF than it is to buy a billion dollars of Bitcoin off of Coinbase and hold it themselves. Or a billion dollars of real estate. Or a billion dollars of real estate. It takes a while to buy a billion dollars worth of real estate. It takes a finger snap to buy a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin once this ETF goes live. And once this ETF goes live, it's only going to take a couple people to try to buy a billion all at once to really affect the price of Bitcoin. So when you're looking at the price now and saying, oh, well, last last month it was less. So I'm just going to wait to buy when it goes back down. Sure. So like, again, those statements are statements of a trader. Traders think in short term, they think it's it's at price X. It'll go down a little bit more. I'll get it there. And then it'll come back to where it is. And they see that they see that as their profit window. But you only have profit if you plan on selling your Bitcoin when it goes back up. But you don't sell your house the minute your mm-hmm. house goes up in value. You just kind of sit and it go, well, I got a little more equity. Yeah. A little more cushion. Security I have security. I have security. Right. Into if I need it. Right. So going back to this persona concept, this persona has... Uh, they, they've been successful in the sense that they, they probably own property or real estate and they understand the concept of equity and they understand the concept of like over time, this just adds to my stability. I might not sell my house, but I have ways of tapping my equity in my house. Um, Bitcoin allows anyone on the planet, whether you're working at McDonald's or working at a Fortune 500 company to start building up that same type of equity in an asset that is technically a better asset than real estate. So when you talk about the quality of an asset, Bitcoin is an asset that anyone on the planet will loan you money against your Bitcoin. Now that's not happening exactly right now, but once there's an ETF, once there's an ETF, I will loan you money against your shares of an ETF, especially if it's shares of an ETF that own Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. right? Because I know the quality of the asset that those shares represent and I'm willing to make a loan against that. Now, today you can borrow against your Bitcoin on Unchained, right? And Unchained charges, I don't know the interest rates because I haven't looked recently, but I think it was like double digits last time, like 10% interest rates. But if you have a trading account and you borrow against your stocks on a trading account, you usually get a pretty decent rate around three, four, five, six 6%. Mm-hmm. So just right there, if I had a Bitcoin ETF, or I had actual Bitcoin, I can borrow against it at a cheaper rate if it's in the ETF. So what you're saying is that it's a stronger savings mechanism, period. It is Whether or not it makes you more money, but it will make you more money in the long run. It is the strongest. And, you know, the concept of making money is, I think, where this whole cognitive dissonance starts, right? Because you're saying like, the, the pushback is I'll buy it a little cheaper and I'll, I'll sell it and I'll make a profit and I'll make money, mm-hmm. right? Um, 
No, the Bitcoin is the money. The dollars is the the not money, <laughs> right? For lack of a better term, right? Like you could have Bitcoin today. We could all convert all of our bank accounts into Bitcoin today. Everyone on the planet could do that. Well, most people could do that, right? And then we would all have real money. Mm-hmm. But then you need to go out into the economy and buy bread. Well, then I would just shave off a little of my real money and convert it into the local currency to get things in the local currency. But that's not real money. That's just what you need to like do exchanges in the, in the regular economy out in the world. I keep the majority of my money in Bitcoin because Bitcoin is money like gold. And these things, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the peso, they're not real money. And that's the veil that's being lifted. That's the veil that I would say, like, just speaking personally, like, I kind of knew that. But since you can't go out into the world and buy things with gold, it's like, what else are you going to do? You kind of are stuck and trapped. And then January 3rd, 2009 happened. What happened that day? That is the genesis block of Bitcoin. So on that day, we now have an alternative. We now have a place to put our money. It's accessible to everyone. You can go work eight hours, right? You could agree on an exchange rate with your employer and say, I'll work for $20 an hour or, you know, $50 an hour, whatever your number is. They will give you this fake money, right? They will give you this created out of thin air paper money called the dollar, the euro, the yen. And you take that and you immediately put it into real money. Immediately. And it will hold its value there longer over time. Now, yes, there will be some fluctuations in it, but just like your house, if you don't need to sell all of it, you shouldn't care about the exchange rate of your asset until the moment you actually need to sell it. And that's why we we front load the show with some of these stats is because, again, we don't have all of our money in Bitcoin, but like, I don't trade stocks anymore. I don't have a retirement account anymore. I'm out of all of that fake money stuff. I just have the least amount of money possible in a checking account to pay our bills and everything else gets put into savings. And that's what any responsible financial planner would tell you to do. It's just that the savings vehicle that I'm putting my money into. It's also a long-term investment. It is like, it is, it is like no other thing that humanity has experienced. Let's talk more about that because I think the problem here is for some people that they've heard through the course of their lives, stories like this about different opportunities. It's come and gone. Maybe they've dipped into it. They haven't. Explain why this is historical. Well, like, let's talk about the Beanie Baby thing, right? Just as a comparison. And what I was saying about BlackRock a second ago. Beanie Babies came and went. Mm-hmm. Did BlackRock get in the Beanie Baby game? No. Because they put a bunch of smart people to look at it and they said, There's nothing there. Yeah, this is a bubble. Let the sheep do what they're going to do. There will be a couple lucky winners. Mm -hmm. But overall, there's no way that's sustainable. They made a movie about it, how it all fell apart because of basically greed and ego. With Bitcoin. This is 14 years after Bitcoin launched. They're getting into it. Yeah, number one. Number two, uh, with, with Bitcoin, we as humanity have never experienced a money and it's very important to understand what money is and we don't i don't want to stretch this episode out describing money but we've never had a money that could be transferred at the speed of light humanity has never had that right go back in time up until you know computers and the internet we've been transferring um I would say uh, uh, a value with credit cards and stuff like that, right? Like digital payments have been transferring value, but they have not been transferring money, right? Like no gold moves from the United States to Europe if I buy a product in Europe, right? It just doesn't happen. The the, the numbers on the spreadsheets change, but nothing actually moved. Mm -hmm. With Bitcoin, that transfer actually happens. And because that transfer actually happens, at the end of the day, there's a lot of other reasons why. But at the end of the day, that's what makes Bitcoin more money than the dollars and things that we spend when we swipe our credit cards. 
when because I, you actually have it. And I think what it's we, not that I, it's not so much that I have it. It's that when I spend it, I no longer have it. Mm-hmm. Like at my job, one of the things we deal with is that for lack of a better term, we're a buy now, pay later company, right? Well, people will like buy now and then to not pay later, they just dispute the charges mm-hmm. and the money gets pulled back. And then we're in this like crazy limbo of like, well, we've already sent the money mm-hmm. on your behalf over here. And now you're not going to pay us. And you've actually managed to pull your money. Like, you can do that in the current financial world. You can't do that with Bitcoin. If you transfer money from one location to another, it is gone. Yeah. And it is gone. It is There's no, no longer. There's no refund button. There's no refund. There's none of that. Now, the other person on their side could be a, 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 a benevolent person and just give it back to you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but they, it's their choice now. Yeah. They're in possession of it. And so that is what makes Bitcoin money and what makes the dollar, the euro, the yen not money, right? Because not only can you dispute charges and get your money pulled back, they can just go on your bank account and just take what they want mm-hmm. or shut it down, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and we're seeing all these things happening a lot more and more and more now. It happened to Kanye. It's happening to Russell Brand at the moment. It's happening to Jordan Peterson at the moment. It's happening to very, what you would say is like, oh, they're a relatively famous person. They usually have more rights and privileges than non-famous people. But no, Kanye had $100 million or more in cash. And they were like, no, they just told him what he could do with his money. And that's not what you can do with Bitcoin. So for this persona who thinks that they're going to um, not buy it today, that's well within their right. It's within their right to say, I, I'm, this is my plan. This is my strategy. This is how I'm going to approach it. And, and I totally respect that. The thing is, is that they're going to remember these conversations. Mm-hmm. And as I say to everyone, like, I don't know exactly when, but tack a zero on, right? It's at 30,000 today. When it's at 300,000, are you going to be saying the same thing? Because if you're saying the same thing at 300,000 that you said at 30,000, then you don't get how this works. You know, me personally, I watched it at $3,000. I did not push all my money in at $3,000. I wish I had. Yeah. Everyone is going to have that moment. I remember when if I had just pushed in all or half or 1%. But I feel like what you've kind of been alluding to or the picture of the future that you've been painting for me is that. It's going to like snap. And one day we are just going to be priced out. I mean, it doesn't happen necessarily in one day, but it could happen in one year. Yeah. Okay. Not we, one week, not one month. I mean, if, it ha- if you get priced out in one week, you were really on the fence, right? <laughs> but you're never priced out. You're you just don't priced think the out. The price of Bitcoin can shoot up that fast. I'm not saying that. You're never priced out of Bitcoin. You can always buy a little. You can always buy a little. You, you will be priced out of buying one, one Bitcoin, Bitcoin, right? Yeah. That's what I say priced out. So, and why do you want one Bitcoin? Um, well, that kind of gets into what I wanted to talk about, which is you're in a rare circle, right? Like we don't know the official number, but it appears that there are fewer than uh, – a million people that have more than one Bitcoin. Name something that you know that you're a group of that there's less than a million of. That's like asset related. Can't say Tesla shares. You can't say any share on the stock market, Mm -hmm. right? Because unless you're talking about like, there's only so many people that own 10% of Tesla, Mm -hmm. right? But like most things in assets, it's very like, I don't say evenly distributed, but there's the haves and the have nots. Mm And the way that this is going to play out, as I've been watching Bitcoin now for seven years, is that it doesn't, it's not that as the price goes up, more people are going to be like, oh, this is the number that I'm going to sell all my Bitcoin at and live lavishly, right? If you had your Bitcoin at 60 and it crashed to 15 and you didn't sell, you're going to ride it to 600. Mm-hmm. You're not going to sell at 600. You're not going to sell at 6 million because you're learning how you're to, seeing what's happening. You're seeing what's happening for sure. But you're also learning what you actually own as you see that more and more people want it. 
and more and more people are willing to come up with what you would have said is a crazy number a couple of years ago, but the new people that are coming in, it's not a crazy number to them. Mm-hmm. So like Kanye could buy one Bitcoin today. It would not even matter to him. Kanye could buy 10. Kanye could buy 100. It doesn't matter to him. But I can't buy 10. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't buy one right off the bat, right? Like, I need to, like, DCA in over time. So the asset of Bitcoin, everyone on the planet has to fight over it. No one can make more of it. With real estate, you can build higher, and there's plenty of land still available to build on. It's not a market supply capped thing at all. Cities kind of keep the availability of property under control by permits and stuff like that. But like if the price of housing gets too high, they just give out more permits and change the rules on what you can build where. And all of a sudden, what used to be a neighborhood full of row houses is now a neighborhood full of seven, eight story buildings. And you're like, this isn't the neighborhood I moved into. Mm -hmm. This isn't what I bought into. Right. With Bitcoin, it doesn't matter. And there's only so many people, as people understand what it is, are going to be able to say that they own one Bitcoin. And when that happens, Bitcoin and the ownership of Bitcoin, I think, is going to change. Today, we say things like, don't talk about how much Bitcoin you have and don't ask people how much Bitcoin they have and all that fun stuff. But I truly believe that just like these rappers wear gold chains around their necks, don't let rappers get into Bitcoin. (laughs) They're coming. Yeah. They're coming, right? But don't let rappers get into Bitcoin because they're literally going to, the joke of wearing the ledger around your neck, it's not going to be a ledger. It's going to be a number. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to be dangling either a number or like a, a, a blockchain address or a QR code. Verify me. <laughs> scan, you watching the music video, the QR yeah. code flashes, you scan it. That's how like, much Bitcoin damn, I have. Damn. You have 80 Bitcoin. Exactly, yeah. right? And that's what it's going to be when it's kind of obvious that no one can really get one anymore. Mm-hmm. So if I show you that I have one and I'm a whole coiner, you could, you could say like, oh, yeah, you got yours in the past and when it was cheaper. So could have you. It's almost like a, 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 an intelligence test or check or like, you know, when I wear like a massive gold chain around my neck, it's like, look at how much money I got. But when I talk about how much Bitcoin I have, maybe I earned it or maybe I just got it before you. Maybe I'm smarter than you. Maybe one Bitcoin just means I'm smarter than you. And you can't argue that because if I'm somebody who told you about Bitcoin for a decade and you didn't buy it and it's worth a million dollars now or $10 million or $100 million or whatever it goes to. You're like, man, I could have got that for like $3,000. Yeah, you could have. And, you know, I also think that if you are in your 60s or 70s or any age and you're just not where you want to be financially or you're stressed out about it, this is that rare once in a lifetime historic opportunity to be able to change that for yourself and to show that, hey, maybe I didn't make the best decisions financial decisions or I didn't jump on it and I didn't luck out the way some other people did, but I am smart enough and I get this and I'm understanding it enough that I'm going to make this my plan and be confident and secure and like, this is going to get me through the next few decades of my life. This is going to help set up the lives of my children and I'm going to be okay. Yeah. You know, if you can convince someone to buy a dollar worth of Bitcoin at any moment in time and not sell it, you you got them because their natural human instincts will kick in and they'll see how the price moves. And what I just said will just naturally play out with them. Oh, when I bought that one dollar, I should have bought ten dollars or I should have bought one hundred dollars or I should have bought a thousand dollars. And then your brain just replays all the ridiculous things you spent money on in between then and now instead of buying this thing that went up 10x, 100x, 1000x, whatever, whatever it's going to do. In the world of flirting and dating and all those things, like, would you date someone who's into Bitcoin, let alone would you let your son date or marry someone who's not a Bitcoiner who doesn't have any Bitcoin. Is that going to be the new uh, 
way to distinguish or separate yourselves from other people. If, you know, if I'm the smart person who has Bitcoin, does that mean you come from a family who's not smart? Um, kind of, you know, like. The thought was a little bit deeper than that. Um, I was, you know, I was kind of going a little bit further with that concept of. Who can key on date or who do I think he should date, marry, et cetera. And I was really leaning into the idea of, you know, before America and democracy and these liberal democracies, you know, there was there were monarchies and monarchy and that that society says, like, you can't marry someone who doesn't have anything. Right. Like if you're a prince or a, a duke or whatever, you know, your favorite show, Bridgerton, mm-hmm. you know, it's like. Yeah. Oh, is it a love marriage or not? Fine. But like they weren't marrying commoners. They weren't. Right. Everyone in that show has something and the people who have nothing. It's kind of everyone knows you have nothing. And so I feel like Bitcoin might actually be taking us back in that direction. The only difference is that technically Bitcoin will always be available, you know, like uh in that world i know it's a fake world but the world of monarchy and aristocracy it's like there's a title the duke of insert whatever but there's only so many titles if you don't have one you you can't buy one you know like towards the end of the the french uh monarchy they were like selling fake titles that had no land associated with them but like for the most part titles connotate wealth because they're tied to something they are tied to land or privileges. And Bitcoin, I feel like, is going to be this type of asset where you don't need a title to have it, but you kind of want to have it. Just like you wanted to, just like you would have wanted to have the title that came with the land, right? Like the Duke of Provence, right? Like a lot of land in Provence. I want to be the Duke of Provence. Why wouldn't I want to be? Like no one would say like, oh, I'll wait for I'll wait to get the Duke of Provence's title, you know, like I'll wait for it to come down or something. No, people wanted titles the minute they could get them. They would murder each other over them because that's how valuable they were. Bitcoin kind of takes away the murder aspect. Kind of. It does. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's you could still like someone could still beat you over the head and, and force you to tell them things to get at your Bitcoin. But like that level of. There are people who have, even if it has a little bit of land associated with it, have a title. Everyone who had no titles wanted something. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Bitcoin is taking us back in that direction in a little bit more egalitarian way, which says, well, technically you can work and earn a little bit of Bitcoin. Like you can acquire Bitcoin. It won't. There's not like in the Bitcoin world, they have like these different quote unquote titles based on how much Bitcoin you have. It's like you have less than one Bitcoin, it's like you're a shrimp. And then if you have one to 10 Bitcoin, it's a crab. And then, you know, it kind of goes on and on and on mm-hmm. in different denominations. Whales. Whales and guppies and fish. And I don't know the type, all of them. I just know that shrimps and crabs are like, that's my world, right? <laughs> like, will I ever have 100 Bitcoin? I love eating both. Sure. But like, will we ever have 100 Bitcoin? I mean, maybe if Keon invents something... Mm. that can generate that type of wealth right but but it's his not ours but it's his not ours so like in a world where there's only 21 million and in a world where it'll be harder and harder to acquire these things like if keon comes home with some girl and is like hey dad i really like this girl we're gonna get married and i'm like okay and her parents have ethereum <gasps> Ooh. right like if her dad her dad comes over and he starts trying to pitch me ethereum i'm like she does not come from a good household right like what if she believes in bitcoin but her father doesn't i mean that's one thing i mean again this is like a hypothetical (laughs) scenario but what i'm saying is that like i think that that type of discernment is going to come back Mm -hmm. and it's not just going to be this whole like oh they like each other let them do whatever they want it's like the things that we have we are going to pass on to our children and if your parents did not have these things it is possible that they do not have the capacity to have these things and so they probably did not raise children to have the capacity to have these things and that just will be like a very strong indicator 
of a parent who's sitting there. Well, let's just get aggressive and say like Michael Saylor. I don't think he has kids. But like if Michael Saylor had a son and his son comes home with Vitalik Buterin's daughter. I don't know who that is. The creator of Ethereum. Okay. Right. Like the Montagues and the Capulets here. Right. Like there will definitely be a like, yo, what are you doing at least? Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, I think that Bitcoin is it is going to take us backwards by taking us forward. And I think that because it will be egalitarian and technically you will always be able to get your hands on it versus a title which was only given to you by the king or queen of some country that you lived in. Um, and you won't have to murder someone to get it like, you know. I'm going to murder my dad so that I can get the title, right? Like mm -hmm. people who have it will only strive towards it because they understand what it is. So it will only be in the hands of people who truly understand what it is and, and, and why it exists. Um, and we're, we're just creating a new like kind of monarchy, a new aristocracy, the Bitcoin aristocracy, which could be a bad thing, could be a good thing. We'll see. Printing an infinite amount of money and fighting endless wars has not been working out for us. And regardless of what people say about before printing infinite money and fighting infinite wars, like if you got to pay for war out of your own pocket, you're more likely to A, not go to war and or B, end wars a lot faster. So I think that's what, you know, we can look forward to in the future. As Bringing it back to our persona of the day. Our persona of the day is like, look, like if you're in your 60s or 70s, like you're probably hopefully a grandparent. And you probably want to teach your grandchildren a bunch of things. And this is one of those things that you want to teach your children um, and your grandchildren, or at least you want your children to teach your grandchildren if you don't get it at the moment. Um, and I think we're going to have like a generation or two and it's all going to shake out and we're going to see who was smart and who wasn't. Yeah, it's, it's an IQ test. And Bitcoin is the great filter. It's the great filter. It's time to join the Fountainhead Nation. Go to fountain.fm to download the app onto your phone. Once you've installed the app and have set up your account, search for Flirting with Bitcoin and follow us. You should also be able to find and follow every other podcast you listen to as well. Listen to our show and episodes from your other favorite podcasts to earn your first stats, which are fractions of a Bitcoin. And keep an eye out for our promoted episodes on Fountain's homepage. We promote every episode so you can earn up to 100 sats just for listening. Yeah, that's right. Your attention's valuable to us. You're not just a set of earballs we've collected for advertisers. You can use the sats you've earned to send us a boost, which is like a little payment with a message. We are very active and respond to almost all the boosts we get. Every episode, we also give a shout out to the top boosters from the previous episode. And if you want to support us or other podcasters with more sats than you earn, you can top up your fountain wallet with a bank card or a lightning transfer from apps like Strike or Cash App. The easiest way to learn is to just get started. If you have any trouble or questions, go to support.fountain.fm. The team is extremely helpful and responsive. That's it. Now you're all set up for podcasting 2.0.